It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Anybody remember Fred Rogers? Won't you be my neighbor? Well, good morning. Through 35 seasons and 895 episodes, Fred Rogers took the American television audience on a visual and an auditory tour de force of what the ideal neighbor looks like and talks like. Button-down cardigan sweater, slippers off in a comfortable living room, all with the invitation to join him. And while Fred Rogers has been gone since 2003, last year Tom Hanks played Mr. Rogers in the movie, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And on screen now is a younger version of Fred Rogers and his wife of 50 years, Joanne Rogers. <clears throat> Excuse me. There they are as a young wed couple, and here she is still giving interviews today at 90, 91. Fred and Joanne dated, met and dated at Rollins College in Central Florida, and she completed her master's in music, went on it to FSU, and was an, is an acclaimed pianist in her own right, as well as an advocate for child health. Fred attended Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and some of you may know he was an ordained Presbyterian minister in 1963. In a TEDx talk two years ago, Joanne spoke of Fred's fame and his television success. She said, he's out there now as somebody who's somehow way above all the rest of us. People invariably say, well, I can't do that, but I sure do admire him. I would love to do that. Well, you can do it. She said, I'm convinced there are lots of Fred Rogers out there. And as Joanne watched Tom Hanks highlight part of her husband's life and career in the movie, she remarked that in many aspects it was true, but not everything about Fred made the final cut. In particular, her husband's tendency to crack the odd dirty joke or two. <laughs> what? A Presbyterian minister cracking an off-color joke? Cover my ears! Didn't make it into the script. I confess, I probably saw a half dozen of those black and white, it was black and white on our TV in upstate New York, episodes of Mr. Rogers. I didn't see a lot of them. However, the power of his simplistic theme for living friendly still draws a crowd. Fred Rogers epitomized the engaging, accepting, hospitable, welcoming person, a real neighbor. And as the movie attests, his neighborly way of life won at least more than one skeptic during those years. A first century lawyer once posed this question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer caught him a bit off guard in the parable that followed. So let's go to our text this morning in Luke chapter 10. You probably know the story well, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In verse 25, 
And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and then departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. God's word for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Karl Marx, the self-proclaimed defender of the working class proletariat, never really knew or had a friendship with a single member of that class. And even as he and Frederick Engels created the Communist League, authored together the Communist Manifesto in the mid-1800s, and again when they formed the International, he made sure that no working-class socialists held any positions of influence in what he formed. So far as his researchers know, Karl Marx never set foot in a mill, a factory, or a mine, or any other industrial workplace in his entire life. Yet he wrote the manifesto for how to help and promote that class of people. Actually, there was one working-class person in Marx's life, his wife's maid, by whom he fathered a son, and then publicly denied. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason concluded his sermon on everyday supernatural mercy by reminding us that mercy never just stays in our heads as a comfortable philosophy or ideology. A nice, kind idea to smooth the conscience in a troubled world. When it comes to relationships with others, mercy is an action verb. Or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Interestingly enough, ironically, one of Engel's most quotable quotes is this, an ounce of action is worth a ton of theory. Someone was theorizing a lot, but not living out their philosophy of life. And so when Jesus answers this lawyer who stood up in a conversation to challenge him and test him, Jesus poses a couple of cross-examination questions to a man who desires to hide under the cover of his own intellectual ego. But he has to deal now with the undeserving. He has to deal with all the wrong people in all the wrong places. He, as a Jew, has to hear this story about how a Samaritan is the hero. 
Now, both the lawyer and those gathered there expected the threefold rhythm of Jesus' Semitic story to form and reveal an Israelite layman playing the role of hero. In fact, R. Kent Hughes, in his voluminous work, Commentary on Luke, which I won't be covering in its entirety today. <laughs> Leave that for Jason next week. He'll do a shortened version. They were all expecting that the average Joe, or Joseph, on the street of Jerusalem, or on this bloody way, excuse me, would be the hero of the story. They expected that, so says Kent Hughes. And Jesus, when he says, what's written in the law to the lawyer? How do you read it? He knows that the lawyer knows the answer to his question. But Jesus leaves him room to think about it, to ponder. And the lawyer replies with very accurate scriptural information. He knows the word. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, Leviticus 19. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your being, and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer knew what he was talking about. He wasn't a novice to the knowledge. He had his ideologies down. But he's also frustrated because now he's got to save face in public. But he, desiring to justify himself, the quality of his philosophy is not bearing fruit. And the guilt comes forth in his speech. He, he loves the idea of loving people, but it's looking, looking for a way out of actually doing it. Because love for people or the lack of it reveals the quality and the effectiveness of the ideas that we hold in our heads. He may even have written uh, or given thought to what it means to love others as we love ourselves, as he quoted it, just as you and, this, and, and I in this sermon are thinking about what that means. He may have written a doctoral thesis entitled Loving God and Neighbor. He may have written a song, Mr. Lawyer's Neighborhood. <laughs> he knows this subject and the scripture that goes with it. His answer came quickly and surely and accurately. So who is my neighbor only becomes a difficult question when we're trying to narrow the field. When we're trying to restrict our focus. Certainly it must be restricted to Israel, he would think. And even further, those who are of good character in Israel. You can't love everyone. You've got to draw the line someplace, especially when it comes to a Samaritan. His concept of neighbor is seen through a cloudy lens. His concept of neighbor begins to look a little bit more like Eddie Murphy's Saturday Night Live skit in which he does a spoof on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1983, calling it, uh, excuse me, Mr. Not Mr. Rogers, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. You'll go and Google that now on YouTube and you'll have a good time. I didn't put it up on the screen. Eddie Murphy comes into the set on Saturday Night Live. He's dressed in the cardigan sweater. He sits down with a bag of groceries. He takes off his sandals. The song is playing in the background, and you find out that the bag of groceries next to him, he stole from a woman at the store. <laughs> this is a new kind of neighborhood now, but this is a quick way to get lunch. And so he goes through this entire scene where it's an entirely different kind of neighborhood and being an entirely different kind of neighbor. And so when Jesus says, but a Samaritan... This throws them for a loop. In the eyes of a Jew of the first century, Samaritans and were half-breeds. They'd intermarried with the Assyrians 400 years ago. They'd compromised themselves. And the hatred between Jew and Samaritan was so intense that most Jews refused to even travel through Samaria. 
They would cross the Jordan River, go miles out of their way, rather than walking through Samaritan territory. And one Jewish prayer actually ended with, and do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Forget about them, Lord. We have. But Jesus often traveled through Samaria. Didn't mean he was treated well when he was there. In fact, in just the previous chapter of Luke's gospel, the Samaritans refuse him lodging as he passes through. So the kind of compassion and mercy that Jesus is emphasizing in this parable is not one that depends on your good old pal next door who happens to be in trouble and tit for tat, you help each other out. Because the man who is left beaten probably wouldn't have helped the Samaritan if the shoe was on the other foot in that age and in that culture. But Jesus does. He tells this story coming from the heart of God. In a contemporary setting, we might swap the roles and characters around something like this. A priest, a pastor, and then a Shiite Muslim comes along. Oh, that rocks our boat a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) That's hard for us to imagine, as it was for them. Or a pastor, an elder, and then a tattooed biker roars up on his Harley. Or, as I said at the 9 o'clock, Randy Gary on his skateboard. (laughs) Randy was ready for it. And if we're honest, most of us have categories, classes of people that we have a visceral reaction to. We might not even want to have that reaction, but because of our experiences or our education or our culture or those who have come before us, Based on nationality or ethnicity or profession, we hold some at a distance. And I had to ask myself as I love this parable, is this one of my favorite parables because Jesus really gives it to a lawyer? (laughs) Maybe that's why it's one of yours. It was that kind of scenario for the first century audience and for the lawyers. A week ago at staff meeting this past Tuesday, the topic of wealthy, ultra-popular pastors and megachurches came up for about three minutes at the beginning of staff. And um, Randy, I think, mentioned one or two by name that he knew who have actually started their own clothing line as part of their pastoral ministry. I looked over at Scott and I said, you know, I've been thinking about starting my own clothing line. (laughs) And Scott said, what, Steve, you're going to bring back the sweater vest? I said, oh, that hurt. That really hurts, Scott, because he knows I have several in my closet at home. I could be Mr. Rogers, right? We categorize by economic status. We categorize by skin color. Sometimes we categorize vehemently by favorite sports team. We also categorize by catastrophe and misfortune. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the Bloody Way because many had been robbed or murdered along this desolate stretch of highway. Perhaps a victim was traveling at night. It looks like that's the case. He's traveling dangerously alone. And if all this is true, then the victim fits another convenient label for me. He's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can find ourselves in the story. We could even get biblical and say, hey, bro, you reap what you sow. We could say all kinds of things we tend to say when we don't want to help someone, but yet want to maintain the posture of a person who really cares. To hold an ideology that says, I do care about everybody. That's the right thing to do. The priest and the Levite stepped around the person in need 
because of their professional posture. As uncomfortable as I am, or as comfortable as I am, blaming the the lawyer, I'm uncomfortable with the two guys who did absolutely nothing are in my profession. (laughs) We find ourselves in the story, evaluating the characters in the parable as Jesus wants us to, and listening to the Spirit of God correct our path along this bloody road. The priest and the life Levite shy away. Neither of them wants to be, risk being ritually unclean. I mean, the man has been left for dead. If they touch an unclean body, their service in the temple is limited. They're off the board for the liturgical uh, duty call the next week. So these two clergy saw the wounded body. They cringed. They lifted their priestly robes, and they hustled away. Maybe they thought it was a trap. Robbers have been known to fake an injury to lure travelers to the side of the road and then ambush them. They weren't necessarily evil men or the lawyer any more than anybody else. They were members of an elite religious order, probably known for their wisdom, perhaps even having written a book or two themselves on compassion in certain circles. They maintain this intellectual comfort zone that desires to be seen as someone who would help if the circumstances were just a little different. Whatever they reasoned, their response compared to the Samaritan's action leads you and I to this question. Am I a neighbor to people when others have turned away from them? Or do I see all the wrong people in all the wrong places for me today to help out? It's tempting to follow the lead of our culture, to follow the lead of people around us, to go with the flow. If everybody else rejects them, what do I want to get involved for? But God calls us to follow the lead of his spirit. So where has God placed you where you are on your road to help someone that others have overlooked? Maybe this past week. Maybe you'll be looking for it this next week. Because he intends that we be the conduit of his love. That we help someone that no one else can or will help in this parable. Even if it goes against convention. Even if it might pull us a little bit off what our duty was that week. Because every one of us here is traveling a slightly different path from the person sitting next to you. And we go nowhere by accident. Have you ever experienced a delay or detour in your day that is placed where you didn't expect to be, doing what you didn't expect to do, and going, this is not what I had planned for the day. I had good things I was going to do for the Lord. I've got my agenda. I've got my hospital visits. I've got these calls to make. And here's this bloody Samaritan side of the road. Just a real inconvenience to God's work through me at the moment. And then... You stop and you stay. You back up and you pray. You listen to the lead of the Spirit. And God takes you and your heart on places you never expected to be. And someone is shown mercy that wouldn't have been shown it otherwise that day. Paul would write to the church at Galatia. The whole law is filled up in one word. I don't know how Paul counts words, but there's seven here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's one thought. It's one deep ideology. It's one thing for us to grab hold of today in concrete form, that mercy is an action verb, not just an idea in our heads, because it was an action verb to our Lord and Savior. Yes, but even the undeserving, even the foolish, even the the stupid ones with bad choices, yes, I am so glad God doesn't require an IQ test 
before he shows me mercy. The Lord is gracious. He extends mercy to the wise and the foolish alike. So are we a good neighbor to all of the uns out there? The unattractive, the unacceptable, the unreliable, the unpopular, the unthinkable, the most unlikely to succeed from our high school yearbook, the undesirables. I say the unattractive again, repeated, because our culture puts so much emphasis on outside appearance. The uninventive, the unhealthy, the unwanted, the unincluded, the uninvited. And let's not forget the Facebook unfriended group. And do we love the unloved? Jesus doesn't give us all the gruesome details. He says this man was, was half dead, probably a Jew himself, doesn't look very good. But in spite of the open wounds and the blood-soaked clothing, the Samaritan acts compassionately even medicinally. He's willing to bend down to get dirty, to help out a total stranger because life is messy, but you've got to deal with it. And as Christ followers, we can't come along and say, this bending over backwards to help someone is just too much. I'm staying out of it. Or I'll leave it to the trained professionals, me and the Levite and the priest. Now, I'm not suggesting that we take a medical emergency and without any training, try and insert an IV to the man on the side of the road. That's over-interpreting the text. In fact, we tend to do that. Right now, we're thinking, you know what? If I ever run into that person who's almost dead, you can be sure, Pastor. God, I'm going to stop and help them out. But it might be, as Jason shared with us just a couple weeks ago, that when your wife rings the garage door down on your windshield, this is the mercy moment. Not somebody dead side of the road. Just, just somebody that for the moment you're going to have to deal with something you didn't expect to. There's a surprise and you can either show mercy or you can clam up, quote the law. Be accurate as you know what with scripture, but miss the heart. And so we come to this unloved person. And as Christ followers, we cannot shy away from loving the unlovable. Yes, there are things that we should not try to solve in people's lives. We could, we could go there with regard to what only an ENT can do. But let's think in terms of not just the outside hurt, but the inside hurt. Because the reality is every single day we face someone that needs God's mercy on the inside as badly as they do with a beaten up body on the outside. And compassion and mercy and action can be ours. It can be your action. And mine. By God's grace, Joanne Rogers was right when she said, I'm convinced there are a lot of Mr. Rogers out there and Mrs. Rogers. Are you and I one of them? The Samaritan picks the man up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, takes care of him. The next day he takes two denarii and gives them to the innkeeper, says, look after him. And when I return, if he owes anything else, I'll settle up with you. He interrupted his, his agenda. He sacrificed his time, his energy, his money for a total stranger. Probably a man who would not have helped him out. In Jesus' kingdom, my neighbor is any person I come in contact with. The real question for you and me is, who isn't my neighbor? Who isn't my neighbor? Am I too busy to get involved? Too clean to get dirty? Too preoccupied to alter my schedule? Will I be looked at? Will others think of me differently if I help this kind of person out? 
Jesus preached one of the most effective sermons ever preached in the form of a simple story that ends with a simple invitation. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your action of mercy toward us. For sharing deep and transforming truths through the simplest of stories. For allowing us to enter into this parable. To have our favorite, era, uh, favorite enemy characters and favorite friendly characters. And hopefully to see ourselves in response to your spirit. For you stretch us beyond our comfort zone. And you bless us with the power to show mercy to our neighbor. We ask for that strength and that power as we come before your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.